When I was in the third grade, I, I wrote a book. And uh, it is a, well, it's not quite a bestseller, but I, I in fact, have the only copy. <laughs> but if, if it were published, trust me, it would be a bestseller. It's um, <laughs> probably not really. Uh, it's simply entitled Bradley Joseph Burns. What better title, you know? That's what it's entitled. And, 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 uh, and there's my picture there on the cover. Uh, lots of hair. If you'd like to see what I looked like with hair, then check this out later on. It's interesting because this was really a, a, just a book that maybe some of you did when you were younger, uh, sort of a book about me. You know, what, what about you? What, what, what are you uh, in, in life? It's interesting um, that, uh, that I, I, I've got a, a self-portrait here and, uh, and then a picture of me, what I will look like in 23 years from, from then. Uh, no, 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 15 years. I would be 23, and there, that's, uh, that's what I was going to look like. And, uh, and, and then it's interesting. Um, it talks about what I'm, em- what I'm embarrassed about. I'm embarrassed when my mom says something about me to other people. Maybe, maybe if you're a younger person here and that embarrasses you, then and I, at uh, 8 years old, could relate. Uh, what really makes me mad is when people bug me, when they make fun of me. Well, we can all probably experience that. Uh, I'm afraid of the dark. At eight years old, I was afraid of the dark. Now, my kids love that part because they, then they know it's okay. It's all right to be afraid of the dark. Daddy was too. Um, I, uh, there are a couple in here that I, that I thought would be interesting to, uh, to share with you. Uh, maybe, maybe if you think back to what some of your favorite things were as a kid. I like to eat meatloaf. <laughs> How about that? Uh, I like to go to church. Uh, I like to feel happy. What little kid doesn't like to feel happy? I like to read. Now, I'm just, just in case you all wondered, is he making this stuff up about his life has only really been about church and baseball? I like to read books about famous baseball players. I like to play baseball. My favorite toy is my glove. Now, I didn't, I'm not making this stuff up. I didn't go back and rewrite this book. Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, people shouldn't lie. That's what I put. I like to collect baseball cards. Um, Something that really bugged me was a guy named Michael Beams. I wrote his name down, and he's actually—I'm Facebook friends with him. I'm going to have to tell him, tell him about this. We can't be friends anymore. You bugged me in the third grade, man. I can't do this anymore. Um, the three best things I like are baseball, basketball, and football. Uh, the thing I like to do best is play baseball. I worry about getting hurt. Maybe you think back to the worries that you had. The best thing about me is. My baseball skills. I couldn't do anything else. I'm telling you, I don't make this stuff up. I'm not any good at anything. That's it. I can't fix anything at all. Um, I look my best when I go to church. They're great. I fix my hair even. It's amazing. Um, and then if I, now some of you can relate to this. Some of you aren't old enough to, to even appreciate this. If I weren't me, I'd like to be Johnny Bench because he hit the most home runs as a catcher. That was my favorite player. I, it's interesting, the book that I wrote when I was in the third grade, I, I wonder if, if you were to write a book today, what would the title be? Maybe, maybe if you were a, a person who uh, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book. This is the only book really that I've ever written. Now, that's the only reason I brought it. I haven't written anything else, um, and I probably couldn't do any better than that anyway today. But what would your book title be? Maybe, maybe it would be uh, Why the World Would Be Great If I Were in Charge. You know, if the world would be a better place if they would put me in charge. Maybe that's the title of your book. Or How Not to Drive by an Expert Driver. You know, everybody, you know how it goes on the road. Anybody going slower than you is an idiot. 
Anybody who uh, is going faster than you is crazy. And, you know, you're just driving exactly perfect. Why I need to control the remote by dad. You know, I mean, that would be the book. Why I need, you know, or the life and times of someone who knows everything. Maybe that would be the title of your book. I don't know. If you think about uh, writing a book, you may not ever uh, have the inclination to do that. You may say, you know, that's about where I'll stop is third grade, and that may be for me as well. But here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us over the next month or so to partner together to write a book of sorts. Uh, And I I do mean to write something and be able to put it together um, sort of like a book like the Psalms, sort of a compilation of writings And here's what I mean by that. Uh, We're going to focus over the next month on one particular type of psalm. And we're just going to look at four different ones. And and the category of psalms that we're going to look at are lament psalms. Lament. Which basically are cries of the heart during very difficult times. Maybe you've read some of the psalms and you say, I could have written that. It's exactly what I feel. That's what I'm going through. Many of you come today with hurts and pains and things that have gone on in your life that still linger on today. Maybe you're experiencing even new ones. And we're going to look at how to triumph through the tears that life can bring. Some still have very fresh things on your mind. And I hope that at the end of this particular series that I will have gathered enough information from you not to get into your personal lives but so that we can write our stories of here's what God has done to triumph through the tears and to put it together in such a way that we as Elm Grove Baptist Church can say, look what God has done. And we as Elm Grove Baptist Church can, for future generations, hand that down and say, don't ever forget what God is capable of. So for folks who need encouragement one day or even today, we can have something, a small booklet together of stories to say, here's how God brought triumph through the tears. I'm going to ask you at the end of this sermon to begin to write a story about triumph through the tears. In each of these messages, I'm going to give you something very short that you can remember and that you can write about. All right, so just be prepared for that. If you're noticing on the back of your bulletin, there's only one short little statement. I'll just give you that heads up. It comes at the end you got to wait through the whole sermon to fill in the blanks. Now, for some of you, that's going to drive you nuts, and you're going to try to guess the whole time. Don't get distracted, all right? But I'm going to give you that one statement right at the end because that's what I want you to remember, and that's what I would love for you to write about. My email address is there in the bulletin. If you like to type something and email it to me, please do so. If you want to write it out on paper and hand it to me, we'll transcribe it for you. If you say, please don't include my name, but here's my story, that's fine, too. We'll have anonymous stories. I don't care. But I want us to be able to testify to here's what God has done, even through the tears. We collectively, I hope, will produce some little booklet that says here's what God has done, here's what he is doing, and for future generations, they'll be able to look and say, God has been faithful to them, he'll be faithful to me as well. One of these days, as you well know, all of us will be gone from here. As they say, we'll all eventually move across the street to the cemetery. What will those folks coming behind us have to remember? I hope they'll have at least something that says God triumphed through the tears. The sermon today is for those who have a story just like that. The story of triumph through the tears. Maybe the parents who have struggled with their children. Maybe the parents whose children are 
no longer with us. Maybe a spouse who's been left by your husband or your wife. Maybe you've lost your job and times have gotten pretty tough. Maybe you've faced disease or the aging process has not been too kind. Or maybe you have lots of worries or you've experienced hardships regarding money or confusion over what decisions to make in life. Or maybe with your health or relationships. It's a sermon for those who have a story of tears and we all have those stories. Even the folks that you think they've never had a bad day in their lives, they're just faking it. Every single one of us has a story filled with tears. I want to encourage you this morning from the scripture to see how God can bring triumph through the tears. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 91. The book of Psalms is right toward the middle of the scripture. So if you can find the middle of your Bible, you can look for the book of Psalms. P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. There are lots of them, so turn to number 91. Let's look at it together. Psalm 91, verse 1. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will exalt him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. The structure of the Psalms are, are interesting. If you are familiar with the Psalms, then you'll know this. And if not, then... Let me give you a little bit of information about what the Psalms are like. They are poems written not in poetry that we would know, but ancient Hebrew poetry. So when you study the Psalms, understand that they do have a rhythm to them. There are certain ways that they were constructed that would make sense to an ancient Hebrew that may not immediately make sense to us. They use a lot of imagery and symbolism. So you're not going to look at this and say, well, God has feathers It's a symbol of something else. So understand, when we work through this, that's what I'm going to try to show you. The structure of the Psalms is also, as I said, something interesting. If you look at this particular Psalm, and I'd like for you to do one of two things. Either make a notation in your Bible with some brackets around it, just to kind of get an idea of how, here's how I can read one of the Psalms and look for certain things. Or, on the back of your bulletin, I left plenty of space. So you can write these things down, all right? Again, they won't be on the screen. This is just something, maybe a little Bible study for you. You look at verses 1 and 2, and they form uh, basically an introduction. Verse 1 is a statement. 
You just write that out to the side. Here's the statement. This is kind of what sets up the entire psalm. The, the one who lives under the, pre, the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the statement that sets the whole thing up. Now, some people would, would look at this and say, well, that's, that's the psalmist writing, and then there's the response of someone else in verse 2. Look at the response. I will say to the Lord, because of a statement in verse 1, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. So verses 1 and 2 basically form a little introduction. you got the statement in verse 1, the response in verse 2. Beginning in verse 3 and running through the end, basically, of the psalm, you have the explanation for what all that means. Now, what's interesting, and this is where I want you to write some things down, and maybe you'll get a little confused, and I hope not. I hope I can explain it well. Uh, basically, what you have are two bookends, and then two more statements in the middle, and one central statement that sort of forms uh, what's called a chiasm. And that, that's a fancy Bible term for saying you've got statements here, statements here, and one statement in the middle. Look at it with me. You've got, beginning in verse 3, running through uh, verse uh, let's say verse 5, you have the first part of, of what God, or what you will do rather, excuse me, what God will do. Then you have what you will do, then you have what will not happen to you, then what you will do, then what God will do. All right. So the way that it works is we walk through this, and I'll give you the verses in just a minute. You have two sections on what God will do. They book in the whole thing. You have two sections on what you will do, and one section on what will not happen to you and why. We'll get to that in just a second. That's how it kind of flows through this. Starts with what God will do, goes to what you will do, then what will not happen, then back to what you will do, and back to what God will do. All right, that's the way that this psalm is, is arranged. Underlying all of that, and if you want to mark some things here, underlying all of that is the reason that this psalm was written. The issues that you will face in life. Here's, here's what's going on. The setting is possibly, based upon the terminology that's used and its connection to the psalms around it, the setting for this psalm is possibly during the time of Moses and the Israelites when they're wandering in the desert. You think about what's going on during that time. They've just left Egypt, gotten out of slavery. Here they wander in the desert, going to the promised land. Now, they denied God's entrance to the promised land. He said, go on in and take it. They said, no, 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 we can't do that, back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And so God says, because you've not obeyed me, you're going to wander in the desert until all the people who disobeyed me are dead. It's going to take 40 years. You think about their wandering in the desert. What's it going to be filled with? A lot of discouragement, a lot of death, a lot of confusion, maybe some anger. They're hurt deeply because those people that they love will not go with them into the promised land. I heard someone say the other day that, that it's, it's estimated that no one who was over 12 years old would have been allowed access into the promised land. So all those people had to die. So you have all these children experiencing the death of their parents and grandparents and so on out in the desert, God preparing them for final entry. So they face life in the desert. Maybe you feel that way today. Discouraged, unsettled. They lived in tents for 40 years, wandering around, picking up the tents and moving on. They're longing for their home that God has promised them, and they're longing for their God as well. That's sort of the setting of what we pick this up in. What, what the psalmist tells us here is that the purpose, essentially, is to provide some encouragement for those people who are in difficult times. You think of what they would have needed from their leaders at that point. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years, and all of you will die. They need some encouragement during that time. They need to know that even though that's going to be the case, God has not forgotten them. and God has not left them alone. They're going to experience some hurt. Some of the things that they will experience will be unexpected and sudden. They're going to have attacks that will fall on them. They'll, they'll have fears. They'll have some things that are self-imposed 
that will bring them some problems. They'll experience traps set by others, plagues, terrors, arrows, pestilence. You see all this terminology. And so it's into that. It's into what they will face that the psalmist writes the statement beginning in verse 1 and writes this poem as a response to all of that. You look at verse, verses 1 and 2. This is someone speaking from experience. Picture a grandfatherly figure. Just picture that in your mind for a second. Someone who's walked with God for a long time, who's got a lot of wisdom, not just little sayings, but true wisdom from God. And here's how he opens. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. That's somebody who knows God. As somebody who's been walking with God for quite a while. The response then, as a result of that, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's an intimacy with God that's portrayed. Some of us may have the idea that relationship with God, that he, he sort of invited you over to the house, but you got to stay on the porch. Or you can come into the foyer, and that's about it. You ever had somebody stop by and the house sitting real clean? And you just try to figure out ways not to let them actually get into the kitchen and see how messy it is. You've been there? God doesn't leave you on the porch. He doesn't leave you in the foyer. He says, come on in. Have a seat in the living room. Go through the fridge if you want. Make yourself at home. We get this idea of an intimacy with God that his people experience. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord here provides this protection, this reassurance and warmth. The psalmist says, the one who lives and dwells in the Lord, the one who makes his home permanently there. As I said, they're wandering around in tents. They have no permanent dwelling. The psalmist says, make your permanent dwelling in the Lord no matter what happens to you in life. He says, he will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes in, uh, in different literature, shadows are an evil thing. You think of a, of a movie where it's kind of dark. The new Batman movie is coming out pretty soon. I, I love Batman. He's my favorite superhero. All right. So anybody a Batman fan? Just raise it. It's okay. Really, thank you very much. Yeah, this is a hand raised high. Thank you very much. Some of you are probably Superman fans. Spider-Man just came out. I mean, maybe I'm a Batman fan. You know Batman's always set in the dark. Most of the time it's dark. It's shadowy, symbolizing the evil that's going on. In this, the shadow of the Almighty, though, is not a dark, awful place to be. You know what it is? It's shadow from the sun. It's been hot recently, hasn't it? Spent yesterday on the baseball field. Hank had two games yesterday. It was hot. There wasn't any shade. I'm coaching first base. Thankfully, I had a hat. Or <laughs> I would have been a giant red light bulb this morning, you know? I, it was hot. It's, it's been nasty outside. Picture the shade the coolness that comes from getting into the shadow of a large tree. And that's what the psalmist says. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow, the coolness, the refreshing nature of God. I will say to, my, to the Lord, my refuge, my shelter from danger. You know, the next couple of days the temperature is supposed to drop, but you know what that means? You know what it's got to do for the temperature to drop? It's got to rain, praise God. Hopefully it will. And it might have to storm a little bit. Saw the forecast this morning. Some storms may be severe. Hmm. What are you going to do when those alerts start coming? You find a shelter somewhere, don't you? Get into the innermost room of your house. Crouch down. Cover your head. Whatever it takes. 
Some of you have even considered, I'm going to build me a storm shelter in the backyard. It's going to be like a bomb shelter in case we get bombed or a tornado hits, I'm good to go. Maybe some of you already done that. you got all kinds of food down there, and it's all you know, freeze-dried and the whole deal, and you're ready. You could spend 30 years down there. You're ready. You might just go and do that anyway. You spend 30 years down there. That's what this shelter, this refuge is talking about. Think storm shelter. That's what God provides for us, safety. He says, he's my fortress. In ancient times, anytime there was a battle going on and the people would be attacked, they would find the closest city that had walls and they could run to that fortress and be protected. Now, of course, in today's world, walls around a city are unusual and don't matter anymore but if you consider they didn't have air attacks back then getting to the nearest walled city the nearest fortress that's how they found protection and that's what the psalmist says God is my refuge he's my storm shelter and God is my fortress he's my safety from the battlefield I run to him he says my God in whom I trust he says I hang my life on you Lord I hang all my decisions on you my heart Every direction in my life that I'll take is hung on you. He uses some terminology here that's interesting. He uses four names of God. If you want to mark those, look at it. Most High, Almighty, Lord, and God. He uses four names. Most High means God is exalted. He, he loves us. He has come down to us, but He's not like us. We need to realize His exalted and holy position. I think for some of us that would drastically change our lives. To understand that, yes, God has come down to us to extend grace and forgiveness and friendship to us, but He is not like us. He is the Most High. He is exalted. He is holy. He says He is the Almighty. He is the powerful protector and provider for His people. You think of some mothering qualities. In fact, that word Shaddai has some some qualities that would lend itself to, to thinking about a child nursing at his mother's breast. You think about those mothering type qualities and connotations. I'm not saying anything about the Lord and his nature as far as man, woman, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But he takes on those qualities that a mother exhibits in taking care of her children. He is the Almighty. He is Lord. That word is Yahweh, the eternal and sovereign God. You know when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush and Moses says, Who should I tell them has sent me? You know what what God's answer is? It makes no sense to us if we just read it. Tell them, I am has sent you. And he says, what? He says, I am. What kind of name is that? God is saying, look, I am. I have been. I am now. I always will be. I am the Lord, the sovereign creator of the universe. It's a terminology that's used. And then he says, my God, Elohim, personal, trustworthy God. You get this idea that a person who's close to the Lord experiences all these things. This statement, this response in verses 1 and 2 comes from someone who knows the Lord, who testifies to His faithfulness. Now that statement, that response, sets up the remaining portions of the poem. The explanation follows what God will do, what you will do, what you will not experience, and why. And let's look at those as we move forward. Look at verses 3 and 4. Here's what God will do. If you want to mark this, look at verses 3 and 4 and just mark what God will do. And you'll see the pattern develop as we move through this. Here's what God will do. First of all, He Himself will what? Deliver. That means He'll rescue. He'll keep you out of. He'll keep you away from. He'll take you away from, it says, the hunter's nest. When I was a kid, I used to watch Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now, I don't think they even put Bugs Bunny cartoons on anymore, but it was always on Saturday.
Saturday morning. You know, we only had one time, about a four-hour block, where you could watch some cartoons. Now, that was when I was a kid. I can imagine a few years before that, you probably had a shorter block, and it probably wasn't as good. We had Bugs Bunny cartoons. And you know the hunter on Bugs Bunny? Some of you are not even remotely old enough to remember this. I'm looking around. we got some younger faces here. Some of you are not old enough to remember this. making me feel old now, all right? What was his name? Elmer Fudd. Well, I'm, thank you. Somebody, some of you all remember that. Now, listen, some of you all, you're too old to enjoy Bugs Bunny now. You can't, some of you still watch that, don't you, on reruns. But Elmer Fudd, he would go and he would hunt who? The wascally wabbit, right? He would go after that rabbit, Bugs Bunny. But he's the worst hunter in history. He's terrible. He never got, he never got the rabbit. He'd always shoot at something. It'd come back and it'd get him or whatever it was. He was awful. When it says the hunter's net, we're not talking about a hunter like Elmer Fudd who has no idea what he's doing. The imagery and the connotation here is that this is a trap that's set by an enemy who really knows you. You have an enemy. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have an enemy who really knows you. This is not meant to scare you. This is not meant to be mystical. It is real. Satan is real. He is a real being, a spirit being, and he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your tendencies. He knows your greatest temptations. He knows your emotions. He knows how to get you when you're down. And he knows when you're not alert. And he's the one who sets that net, the hunter's net. Traps are set all around you. You walk through life every week. You're not stupid. You know there are traps all around you. Some of the traps, Satan is trying to engulf you completely. Just wrap you up and throw you to the side. He knows, however, that that may not be possible in everyone's life. He may not be able to engulf you completely. So maybe he sets a different trap that just gets you by the foot and knock you down and injure you and render you ineffective. Now you're not totally engulfed in it, but you're not effective anymore. He's setting all kinds of traps, and he's been doing it to God's people since the Garden of Eden. And he even did it to Jesus Christ using one of the verses. Maybe you recognize this from the temptation of Jesus Christ using one of the verses in this particular psalm. He's been setting traps forever. But Jesus, even when a trap was set for him, was so wrapped up in his love and devotion for his heavenly father that he was both rescued and was able to avoid the hunter's net. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, also from the destructive plague. Now, this is just a term that, that signifies a variety of things that could happen to you, a variety of evils, disease-like dangers that could come your way. You think about something that is like a plague. It can even be contagious. You ever pick something up, so to speak, spiritually from someone else? Well, they're just negative and awful, and they're dealing with all kinds of stuff, and you just somehow you get swept into it. It's a plague. We see it all around. There's moral decay moral disease in our country, in our world, and a lot of us have an easy time of getting swept up into that. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. Look at verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers, a surrounding and overshadowing, making you inaccessible by covering you with his feathers, just like a mother hen covers up her chicks so that the, the, the predators flying above cannot see the chicks. You get the imagery in your mind. That's what God does for his people. We're told in the New Testament that his covering continues. And it's sealed by our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says we are hidden in Him, and nothing truly, nothing truly can threaten us. There are a lot of things that happen in life. You know this. You live it every single week. But if you are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, nothing, and I mean not even death itself, nothing can truly threaten you. Yes, it can make you have a bad day. Yes, it can ruin a week or a month or a few years. Yes, life will hurt. But nothing for the child of God can truly threaten you because you are held in the palm of God's hand, covered by His wings. Nothing can truly threaten you. That's not pie in the sky. That's Scripture. Nothing can truly threaten you. You have a refuge under His wings. It says His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You realize God is always the same. He's always good on His Word. The entire Bible is a story of God's faithfulness. From the Israelites all the way through the New Testament church, God was always faithful to His Word. He proved in the Old Testament. He proved it in the New Testament. He continues to prove it today. And it forms His faithfulness, forms a shield around you on all sides. Yes, the battle rages, but you are hidden in Him behind His shield. That's the first part of what God will do. Look at verses 5 through 8. You might want to mark it, what you will do. First, you got what God will do. Here's what you will do. First, it's kind of in, in negative. It says, you will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. You will not fear those things that come into your mind and steal your sleep. There's some today who are so tired, literally tired because you don't get any sleep. Not because you're up doing something or being productive, but because you literally can't sleep for all the worries that go through your mind. Terrors, those dreads that come into the night, and you lay awake at night trying to solve the problems of the world, and you're worn out. The Bible says if you're hidden in God behind His protective shield, you don't have to fear those things that will come and try to steal your sleep, those distressing thoughts that fly through your mind. You don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day. You realize that arrows don't just fly around on their own. They're shot by someone. And sometimes it's right in the middle of the day. Some people have the audacity just to attack you over and over and over and over again. They may be trying to injure you or your reputation. They may be trying to damage who you are or hurt you in some way. You don't have to fear the arrow that flies by the day or the plague that stalks in the darkness. When you go to sleep at night, you're in your most vulnerable position. Think about that in life. Those things that hunt you down when you're most vulnerable. Those things that bring doubt and fear and spiritual attack. He says you won't have to fear the pestilence that ravages at noon. The pestilence that eats the crops back during this time was a huge deal. They could see it coming, but they couldn't do anything about it. And it would come in broad daylight, maybe in the, the peak years of their lives, right at noon, the most productive time of the day. God says if you're in Him, you don't have to fear any of those things because God is your refuge and your fortress Verse 7, he says, you will also not fall on the battlefield. He says, though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. Other people may drop like flies in life, ruined by the things that happen to them. But he says, because you have made God your refuge and your fortress, you don't have to fall on the battlefield like everyone else. You will not be reached by those things. There's reassurance. There's comfort from the Lord. And then verse 8, you will only see it with your eyes. And witness the punishment of the wicked. You won't be swept up in the destruction. You'll only see it. And one day, one day, not in a vindictive way from us, but one day we will stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we will see this evil world and the wicked people in it be punished for their sins. You may say, oh my goodness, are you serious about that? Absolutely. Those who are not found in Jesus Christ, those who are apart from Him, we will one day, though we will not be swept up in the destruction, we will one day witness it. And we will receive vindication and eternal life. You will not fear. You won't fall on the battlefield. You will not be reached. You will only see. And then verse 10, maybe you want to mark it, what will not happen to you? Verse 9 says it this way, finishing up the what you will do, because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, because you have found your home in Him, verse 10 now is what will not happen to you. It says, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. Because you dwell with God, nothing in life can truly, truly reach you. Yes, it hurts. Yes, there are issues. Yes, you're dealing with it right now. But nothing in life can truly get to your soul when you're found in God. No plague will come near your tent. What sweeps other people away, what sweeps the world away and destroys it, will not truly affect you. You cannot be touched when the Lord is your home, not even by death itself. Verses 11 and 12 tell us why it won't happen. There's what, what won't happen to you. Here's why. For he will give his angels concerning, uh, orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. God sends his ministering spirits, his angels, to protect you and to guide you, to watch over you, to preserve you, to support you with their hands as they help to guide you as God's ministering spirits through life so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. There are a lot of things in life that can trip you up. A lot of things that you can get hurt on, and some by your own doing. Some here today say, well, you know, nothing really has happened to me that I haven't, haven't done to myself. It's my fault. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have a hurting foot because you have tripped over and over and over and struck your foot, as the Bible says, on the stone over and over, it's bleeding, it's broken. The Bible says make your home, make your refuge, your fortress in God himself and he will then help to guide you and protect you so that you will not bring nearly as much on yourself through ignorance or through willful sin. Hide yourself in the Lord and you will not bring as much on yourself. You'll be protected, you'll be made wiser. Verse 13, here's what you'll do instead. What will not happen to you, why it won't happen, and what you'll do instead. You see, we started with what God will do. We went to what you will do. Here's what will not happen to you. Now, here's what you will do instead. You will tread on the lion and on the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. To tread on those things, to trample them, means to stomp and, and march on them, to dominate them. The imagery there is the lion, something that's ferocious, that attacks you, that's powerful. You've got those things in your life right now and it's specific to each person here. Something that has gotten a hold of you and is attacking and ripping you apart, just like a lion would. And you've also got those things that are like serpents that seem to sneak up on you, deceive you a little bit, and then strike when you least expect it. In the Bible, snakes are associated with magic and evil, and praise God that they are, because I'm scared to death of them. They were cursed from the beginning. I tell people this all the time. People want to argue, well, was the... Was the serpent in Genesis 3 really a snake? I don't care. To be honest with you, I don't care if it was really a snake or not. It, it appears to me that it was something at least similar. And they're all cursed. 
You realize in the Bible that snakes are associated with, with magic and evil. In the Garden of Eden, they were, they were considered to begin their journey as to be the devil's errand runners. And that's exactly the way I look at them now. There goes a devil across a yard. Some of you go out and pick that thing up. Man, I'm running back in the house or trying to grab a shovel or call somebody. Please come take care of this thing. Whew. They believed in ancient uh, Israel that the unblinking eyes of the snake were peepholes into hell. Now, that's a good description of snakes right there. Oh, man, do you, want some, you want some ammunition against people who love snakes. Just use this stuff right here. They were believed to have some weird supernatural qualities. Why? Because they could shed their skin and start all over again. That's just strange. Snakes were cursed from the beginning. They're, they're, they're the symbols in the Bible of evil and deception. And yet what God says here in the psalm is that even those things that could strike you, even those things that could impose venom in your life, you will stomp on them by the power of God in your life. Those who are in close relationship with God will dominate the things that would otherwise destroy them. And then finally, verses 14 to 16, the last little bracket, here's what God will do. We started with what God will do. We went to what you will do. Here's what will not happen to you. What you will do now back to what God will do. Look at verses 14 to 16. We get lots of promises here. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will exalt him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. I count about nine promises right there. Deliver. I will deliver him from threat. I will take him out. I will exalt him, meaning I will make him inaccessible. These things, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the one who is the child of God, these things cannot truly touch you. You are inaccessible because you are hidden behind God's shield. I will protect him, it says. I will intervene. I honestly believe we have no idea how many times God intervenes in our lives, and we really just don't know. I remember one time when I was a little kid getting off the school bus and it was snowing. And there were three or four inches of snow on the ground and we had a, a pretty big bus stop right there, meaning a lot of kids got off the bus at one time. And of course, when, with elementary school kids, they just scatter and they're running all over the place and they're making snowballs and whatever. And, and I was getting ready to cross. The bus is here and I'm getting ready to cross in front of the bus and I get hit right in the face. I mean, just straight on almost in the face with a giant snowball. And it stopped me in my tracks. And you know what happened next? A car that had been coming down my street didn't stop for the bus stop sign and just sped right on past. I still, to this day, have no idea which kid threw that snowball. I don't know who they were. But all I know is that somehow, through that little kid, God picked up a snowball and hit me in the face with it. He intervened and protected me I don't know why. I don't know why he chose to do it. But I am convinced that there are so many times in our lives, you think about it, maybe you want to make a note of some things this week, how many times it appears God has intervened and rescued you from something before you had to face it. What an incredible journal that would be. He says, I will rescue him. I will also answer him. Hmm. When we pray, God promises to answer, not always in the way we want, not always when we want, but he says, when he calls out to me, I will answer him. 
He says also, I will be with him in trouble. There are some today who Satan has backed into a corner, like in a boxing ring, and he is taking it out on you. And he is wearing you out, headshots, body shots. He's getting you any which way he can. God says, I will be with him in trouble. You have companionship in need. You are not in the corner alone. God is with you. He says, I will give him honor, vindication. You ever wanted to just prove to everybody you're right? Certainly no one in here operates that way. I don't, of course not. You ever just wanted people to know, I'm right. Leave me alone. I didn't do anything wrong. God says, I will be the one who gives him honor because he follows me. I will vindicate you. You don't have to gain vindication or revenge for yourself. God says he'll take care of it. I will satisfy him with a long life. I don't know how many years God will give you on this earth. This is certainly no blanket promise that you'll live to a certain period of time. But while you are alive, if you are a child of God, He promises fulfillment and satisfaction and the enjoyment of His greatest blessings right here on earth. The Gospel of John is great about this. He says, whosoever believes will have eternal life. But you know what John says about eternal life? It doesn't begin when you die. It begins at the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and all those blessings can come to you. Even if just a shadow... Even if just a preview, you get to experience those things. And finally, God says, I will show him my salvation. God will prove to you that he is your Savior by what he does in your life. All of this can be experienced here on earth. And that gives us a little different mindset when we face the tears of life. It shows us also a preview of what is to come in heaven. In order to triumph through the tears, here's something I want you to remember and I want you to write about. I am not completely immune from life's issues, so I will trust God completely. I am not completely immune from life's issues, so I will trust God completely. I really believe that's the message of Psalm 91. You and I will face lots of things. We're going to face some attacks. We're going to face some dangers so we're not totally immune to the issues of life. You say, man, I know that. And because we are not immune completely, we must trust God completely. He says in verse 14, he is lovingly devoted to me. Trusting God means that you love him. Verse 14 also says, he knows my name. Trusting God means that you know him. Verse 15 says, when he calls out to me, I will answer him. Trusting God means you pray and you talk with God. Verses 2 and 9 say, I have made the Lord my refuge and my fortress. He is my permanent home. He alone and He always will be who I hide in. Psalm reminds us of what God does in and through and around those who fully trust Him. The nation of Israel experienced many of those blessings as they walked with God and trusted Him. And one day they became the channel of God's grace when God sent Jesus Christ to the Jewish nation. What they were able to experience because of their relationship with God, as we see in Psalm 91, each of us has the opportunity to experience today through Jesus Christ. The Lord came from heaven to earth 
He lived a sinless life and then died to pay the, the punishment, the penalty for our sins. And he, now he offers forgiveness and closeness of relationship that we see pictured here in Psalm 91. It's those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, those who live in loving relationship with him that experience the blessings and benefits of Psalm 91. Only those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. You won't be completely immune from life's issues, but by trusting God, by loving Him completely, you can experience His rescue, His help, His reassurance in the middle of all that you go through. So remember to make the Most High your refuge, your fortress, your dwelling place, and write about it. I told you I'd ask you to begin to write. I want you this week to remember and to write about, I am not completely immune to life's issues. So I will trust God completely. I'd love for you to begin writing about, here's, here's the issues of life that I've faced, maybe years ago, maybe last week, maybe today. And here's how I have seen God come through in those issues. Here's how I'm trusting God completely in the midst of the junk. I'm not completely immune to life's issues, but I will trust God completely. I want you to write about that, and I really mean that. I want you to give me those stories, send them in an email, hand them to me in paper form, whatever it takes. Let's compile something that we can say, look how God has brought triumph through the tears, that we can read together and we can hand down to future generations. Take me seriously on that. I really hope you will. If you need to be anonymous with it, that's fine too. God alone can bring triumph through your tears. He proved it when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. That through something as awful as that, he brings salvation to us. You're not immune. So trust God completely. Let's pray together. Consider your issues this morning. Things that are going on even now. And as you consider those, direct your eyes to the Lord, the Most High, the Almighty, who alone can provide for you refuge and salvation. Direct your eyes to Him. There are some here today who need to submit their lives to Jesus Christ. Do it today. Don't wait another moment. To say, Lord Jesus, you take it all. I place my faith in you. I don't care what these people think of me. I want you. Turn your issues over to him. Be found in his fortress and behind his shield. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to read and to study your word. May we be found hidden in you. I pray for those who need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. That, Lord, during this song, they would stand up and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Receive forgiveness from my sin. Receive eternal life and his blessings here on earth. Lord, I pray for those who are attacked, torn apart, it seems, this morning, that they make you their dwelling place. Thank you for your deliverance and your rescue and your protection. Help us to trust you completely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.